You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. But we're in part three. Just real quick, I don't want to re-preach the messages. You can go to the podcast. But you know, in week one, uh, we just launched the whole thing talking about there really can't be a comeback unless there's a setback. And we understand that setbacks are normally these moments in our lives where we just go, man, what was I thinking? And, uh, and so take time to look at that. And then last week, we went one step further. Not only do we talk about the setbacks, but we talked about there's this mental game. That after we have a setback, there's, there's this mental wall, this mental hurdle that we have to go. And usually that's the toughest. Well, that leads us to today to, to a really, really important, probably outside of the mental game, and because of the mental game, probably one of the toughest parts of the comeback, the rematch. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I've had setbacks in my life, and I've been in the process of what God's called me to do, and there's that awkward moment where I have to revisit the past, whether it be somebody that I didn't treat correctly, somebody that didn't treat me correctly, something that I've struggled with, whatever it may be, and it's like there's this rematch. We've been joking around about this boxing ring behind me, and anytime you see somebody that gets defeated and they're trying to have a comeback, that always leads up to this rematch. In fact, we usually have all these different rematches, whether it be uh, you know, a rematch or a trilogy or something they fought once, twice, three times. I remember back in the day, you know, different ones with, with Evander Holyfield and, and him having these rematches with Riddick Bowe, and, and they met once and then twice and then third time, and Evander Holyfield finally won the heavyweight championship. And so, you know, you, you have these rematches. There's times in your life that you're going to find there are some things that even though it's in your past, that until you completely deal with it in a rematch, it keeps showing itself's ugly head. And I just want to talk about that. I want to talk about some things in God's Word and how can we handle, how can we prepare, and how can we get ready for that rematch. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua is an amazing story. Uh, We are in the part of the Old Testament where Moses has passed away. Uh, He has been in the wilderness. Uh, He has seen the promised land, but he's not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. Joshua is going to be the person that leads God's people into the promised land. And he puts these promises over Joshua's life. And we just want to talk about that and talk about one particular battle that it took him two shots at it. And so if you're with me, join with me in Joshua chapter 1, whether it be in your Bible or on your phone or on a tablet or whatever you have. And let's start by just looking at this story with Joshua in this account of the rematch. The first thing we have to understand is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, you need to understand there was a major promise that, that had been put over Joshua's life. Moses had been promised all these things. We have this, this conversation going on at the burning bush. One of the requirements to inherit the things that God wanted in their life was for there to be obedience. That's key. God's blessings... And God's desire for you, his will, is always correlated with obedience. Now, I, I want to take a real quick rabbit trail because we have a lot to cover today. But I want to make sure you hear me correctly. God's blessings and will for your life is not tied to legalism and you earning it. That is not what I'm saying. But it is tied to your obedience and him being Lord of your life. In other words, we're not his puppet that we do something because of something he's going to give us. No, we're in a love relationship, and because we love him, we're obedient. And because of that obedience, just like 
a loving relationship on earth, he loves us back and pours his blessings out on us as well. So with that being said, let's look at what God told Joshua. It's in Joshua 1, chapter 3, and he says very simply, and you've heard this before, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. Now that sounds great. And I've actually done a message before that I'm not doing today. This is a totally different message, but it's kind of set up a little bit different. Because we hear that and go, wow, boy, I want that. But what we don't realize is between then and about the first 11 to 13 chapters, he ends up battling 31 kings and defeating them. And so just because the promise was there doesn't mean there's not going to be adversity. Just because the promises that God's put in your life doesn't mean there's going to be adversity. That's what this comeback is all about. Your life is geared on a major storyline of God's will and love and grace for you. And unfortunately, in the process of pursuing that, we have a way of getting involved sometimes in making ourselves have a setback. But we have to remember that there's a promise that God has spoken over us. And with that being said, let's look at what he commanded him to do. So he looks at that, he says, you know, everywhere you're, that your heel of your foot's going to touch or the sole of your foot will touch, you're going to have that. But then look at verse 5. He's talking to Joshua and he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you caused this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be and very, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Again, that's verse 7. And what that's explaining is, you know what? Be obedient. I've got major things. Nobody is going to be able to stand against you. I promise you that. That's what God's telling them. If you will learn to keep my commandments. He keeps going in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. I'm sorry. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not dismay. For the Lord your God is wherever you will go. We're going to jump over to chapter 7 and look at how this kind of transpires. But what I want you to hear more than anything is there was a major anointing and promise that God had put over Joshua's life. And he said, you know what, man, be strong and courageous. Wherever the sole of your foot touches, you're going to inherit that land. And not only are you going to inherit that land, and we talk about how he's going to battle 31 kings, but God already tells him, and you know what, you're going to defeat them. Like, you're, you're going to win. If you'll stick to the course, dwell in my word, not let the words of my scripture depart from you, but dwell on them night and day. See, there's a major attribute that comes in our life where our depth of obedience normally is linked to our depth of knowledge of God, which in turn is linked to the depth and knowledge of his will in our life. So let's see how this transpires. The Jewish people, the Israelites, we read after that, they have just conquered Jericho. 
and they're coming out of chapter 6, and now they feel led. They've crossed over the Jordan. They've put these 12 stones that people would remember so they could see how this is expanding. And we go into chapter 7, and they come to this little town, this, this one city called Ai. It's A-I, but it's pronounced Ai. And the way this city is looked at is hilarious because it really will show you some of the concepts that helps us not only with our setback, but helps us with our rematch. And so look at this. Look in chapter 7, verse 3, and listen to how people perceive this city. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, that's verse 2, go up and spy out the land. Then listen to what happens. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And then verse 3, listen to these words. You're going to see it on your screen. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. You know what's hilarious about this concept about to take place? This is one of the greatest underestimations in all of Scripture. The spies, if you remember, went over, and Joshua was one of the original spies that went over to the promised land. They talked about how it was flowing with milk and honey. Some of them didn't want to do it, and they gave a bad report. But Joshua was one of those that gave the right report. They said it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. These spies have went over there, and they've said, man, nothing to it. We don't need to even waste our time. You don't even have to send everybody up there. If you're taking notes, write down underestimating your opponent will cost you defeat nine out of ten times. Most of the things that you have in your life that have been some sort of a struggle, some sort of a setback, some sort of a mental hurdle, usually those things, it's because you're underestimating them or you're overestimating yourself. We talked about this briefly last week. We talked about this aspect of pride. How pride leads to destruction, and a haughty spirit precedes the fall. That's what's going on here. These people, these spies that went back, and they're like, man, you, you don't even have to send everybody. This is going to be so simple. In fact, we can learn if we keep reading in Joshua chapter 8, after they have conquered them, we realize it's roughly about 12,000 people. So here's the whole Israelite encampment against 12,000 people, and they're like, Psh. We got this. That's 12,000 total people. That's not even just the men. That's 12,000 total people. So the spies go, man, this piece of cake. Joshua, don't even waste our time sending everybody up there. Let's just pick a few people, go up there, take this city. We'll come back, and then we can keep on our journey. Well, I'm not going to put all the scriptures up there, but let me tell you how this story ends up. So these people go up, and they go into the city. And unbeknownst to them, they encounter something they've never encountered before. They encounter defeat. The IE people, the men, drive them out. They kill several of the Israelites. And the Israelites flee and they go back to Joshua. And that's where I want to pick up the story. Because I want you to see how Joshua responds to the defeat. The first time the defeat that hits his life. It starts in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, 
talking to God. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that had been, would that we had been more content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. And it will surround us. They will surround us and cut us off by the name of this earth. Cut our names out of the earth. And what will you do for your great name? See, here's the crazy part of the Joshua's response. Once defeat hits, once a setback hits, the first thing that Joshua starts doing is probably the same thing that I do and the same thing that you do. He immediately struggles with self-doubt, totally forgets about the promises that God has, and starts questioning God as if he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, God, why in the world is this happening? Why would you let this take place? Why would you bring us over the Jordan just for us to be defeated? We were content with just being on the other side of the Jordan. Why would you let all these things happen? Why, 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 why? And he's whining and he's complaining and he's communicating and he's trying to leverage and he's trying to justify and he's trying to explain and he's worried about his own name. What's going to happen to us? The Canaanites are going to hear about us. I can only hear, you almost picture him with this whiny voice. But now, God, the Canaanites are going to hear about us, and now they're going to come, and they're going to beat us up and take all of our stuff. What are we going to do? And I love, love God's response. You may have heard it before. Are you ready? It's in the next verse, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Get You know, we've been talking about this for a while. And I've been joking around about Mick being in the corner of, of the Italian stallion when he gets knocked down and he says, get up, get up, get up, you dirty bum, get up. And you say, well, well, Mickey, where's that? You know what God told him? Hey, Joshua, get up. See, I think that one of the things that we have to realize is that defeat, in our life, it's not a matter of if they are going to happen. It's a matter of when they're going to happen. And we have to be careful with these setbacks, these things that we don't understand, that we don't let it gravitate in a situation to where we feel defeated, we start having self-doubt, we start doubting who God is, and we start whining and complaining and questioning everybody with the wrong question. In fact, God asked him a question. Not only does he tell him to get up, but listen to what he says. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? That's, that's God's way of saying, Joshua, get up. Do you not remember the promises? Why have you fallen on your face? Get up. What are you doing being a parent of five there has been times that i've looked at one of my children who are throwing a fit or getting upset or or, or maybe it may have been even in sports and and they have a little bit of pain they're not injured but they're hurting 
and me and Mama Sita would say the same thing, especially to our boys. If you lay on that ground, you better be injured. If you're hurt, you get up, get to the sideline, because we need to know that you're okay. I think that's the type of, of concept that God's doing with Joshua. You may be hurting, but you're not injured. You can't keep going. You need to get up and keep doing what God's called you to do. He's trying to remind him of that promise that you, do you not remember? Every place that the sole of your foot's going to touch, you are going to inherit that land. Nobody is going to be able to stand against you. Those were the promises we read earlier in chapter 1. But all of a sudden with the first setback, he totally forgets all that. He's on his face and he's mourning, rightfully so, for the loss of people. Because I'm sure he loved those people. But he's let that go into whining and complaining to God and asking him questions. You know, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, Mickey, that's a great story for Joshua. But, I mean, how does that, I mean, like, what about me? Like, God's not told me, hey, Mickey, wherever the sole of your foot's going to touch, you're going to inherit that land. <coughs> I've not got that. I've not gotten the same promise that, hey, nobody's going to ever conquer you. Nobody's ever going to, like, I don't have that promise. So what, what's my promises? Well, I took a second, and this is going to take a little bit of time. I'm going to try to do this as quick as possible. But this is probably the most emotional preparation I've had for a message. Because I just started reading in God's word all the different promises that he has for you. And right now, I just want to stop for a minute. And I want you to hear God telling you, get up. Why are you laying down? Do you not remember the promises? For example, some of the promises. Psalms chapter 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalms 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. These are promises. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in his blamelessness. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Get up. Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, 31-33, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. These are promises, and God's saying, get up. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Matthew 7, 9 through 11, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to you who ask him? These are promises. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Boy, this is one of my favorite. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Get up. Psalms 34.10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. You say, Mickey, well, I, I feel like I'm in a dark place. Listen to me. Promise. I am the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of the life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, he will live even after dying. That's a promise. Get up. John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 1 through 3, his, his commitment that there's something more after this. Do, I, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If, you were, if it was not so, I would have told you. That I'm, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you will also be where I am. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you are lacking wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. Gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Psalms 102.17. He will respond to the prayers of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Psalms 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough to store it. All of these are promises. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 22.6, start children, start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Isn't that amazing if you're a parent? Romans 8.28, and we know that all things God works for the good for those who are loved him, who have been called according to his purpose. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then the last one, I'm not even reading all of them. There's so much more, but I don't have time. But the last one, my favorite verse in God's word, my life scripture, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16, 3. There are pages and pages and pages and pages of God's promises. Pages, like so much I can't even read them all. 
But it's one of those things that we sit there and we hit a setback. We hit a point where we feel like we get defeated. And the first thing we start going is going, oh, but I don't know what God can do with me. I don't know what God's got next. I don't know what, listen to me. He's telling you, just like he told Joshua, just like he told me, get up. What are you doing? Do you not remember the promises that I've given you? Do you not remember all the promises that are in my word? Do you not remember the things that I've promised that I'm going to send you my spirit? That I'm going to intercede on your behalf? That my spirit will intercede on your behalf when you don't even know the words to pray, it will intercede for you. Like that I have something more for you, I have something better for you. Your setback is not your finish line. Press on towards the upper calling of Christ Jesus. He's telling you. Get up and get ready. You know, the other part of this story that's really cool to me is he doesn't stop right there with just a question. He then identifies to them the issue. If you look at verse 11, it says, Israel has sinned. Verse 10, he says, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you falling on your face? And then he tells him what he's looking for. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put things among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. See, the solution was so simple. It was the perception that got them totally off base with this defeat. They immediately started blaming God, and they didn't realize that God was still promising everything he's always promised. The issue wasn't with God. The issue was with them because they weren't obedient. And that's usually the way we work, isn't it? I mean, can I ask a, a, a pretty frank question? Can you please tell me of a time, a setback, a struggle that you were pursuing God and being obedient and it caused the setback? Can you name one? You know, in my own life, there's never been a time, never been a time that a setback or a struggle in my life was a reflection of my obedience and pursuit of Christ. Normally, it was always me and a choice that I made that was going against what God had for me. It was me being disobedient in an area, me choosing my own ways, me choosing my own satisfaction. Well, that's exactly what they're talking about. So Joshua turns around. I don't have time to read all of this, but Joshua turns around, and they identify what's going on. In fact, God gives him a plan. He says, you're going to take all of Israel, and you're going to bring them to each other in tribes. And I'm going to turn around and take those tribes, and then you're going to divide them into to families. And then those families, we're going to divide and go into each man. And, and in that process, he, he identifies one person named Achan. And he asks Achan, what have you done? And Achan admits, are you ready? Here's what caused the whole defeat. Are you ready? Here's the, the devout things that he took, because they broke God's commandments. Achan, and you see it in verse 20. You don't have to look at this. I'm just going to read it. In verse 20, he kept a beautiful cloak, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold that weighed 50 shekels. You want me to tell you what he did with it? This is so good. He buried it under his tent. Like, these things are so useful that I'm going to go bury it under my tent. I mean, it's a beautiful robe. It's silver, and it's gold. And you're burying it under your tent. 
you know, it reminded me of the fact that, you know, a lot of times there are things that we are willing to compromise God's desires for us over things that we feel like are going to be more fulfilling. And most of the time, they're not even useful. Here's a group of people that are conquering new lands, that are turning around and taking these lands and making what's going to be God's promised land, the, the nation of Israel. And in that process, here's one person that's saying, you know what? But man, I really need this stuff. I'm going to take this stuff. And it causes them defeat. Well, it ended up resulting not only in him losing his life, Achan, but it also, his whole family lost their life. But that's not the point. The point was, there was an aspect that was going on that had to be readdressed. See, there was a comment in that whining that was actually true. If they did not have a rematch with these people in Aia, then the name of the Israelites would have been looked at as the people got defeated by a lesser than. And I want you to know that right now, there's probably not anything that I could speak over you more than the fact that don't let the lesser thans define you. Let God and the more thans define you. Like most of us walk around in life and we're being defeated by things that are lesser than our God. And God's saying, no, no, I've made you to be a more than. A more than. And so after this, you know what? They say, you know what? We got to go. We got to go back over to Aia, and we've got to have a rematch. We got to go back over there. But this time, God tells them what to do. God says, you know what? You're going to take all the men. You can look at chapter 8, verse 1. It's just a few verses. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Again, he's telling them, just kind of going back to that promise. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you. In other words, we ain't going to take just a little bit. We're not going to underestimate them. We're going to take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Aia. See, I have given into your hand the king of Aia and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Aia and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its livestock you, should, you shall take and plunder for yourself. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. What he's telling them is saying, okay, guys, we, we're going to go back in. I know you got beat. I know that was tough. And, yeah, you're going to kind of reestablish. We've done some things to make it right. We've identified what the issue was. We've, we've established what that issue is. We, we have addressed and rearranged and, and made right what the issue was. But you know what? You got to go back to the rematch. You got to go back to the rematch. Listen to me. In your life, you are fooling yourself if you think some of the things that have set you back or some of the defeats that have been in your life, that those can just be gone without a rematch. God calls you to be more than a conqueror. Now, I want to make sure that I preface this. I'm not talking about a rematch with an ex-spouse, because the ex-spouse probably isn't really the issue. I'm not talking about a rematch with, with people, I'm talking about a rematch with, with disobedience in your life. 
a, a rematch with, with addictions so that you can overcome them. A rematch where you see where God was less than in your life. Not that he was, but you were making him to be less than in your life. You were the one that was in control, and that got you into a bad situation. And God's saying, you know what, let's go back and revisit that and let me be the more than, and let's conquer this thing. Can I sum up how this story works in chapter 8? Well, Joshua takes them in, and here's the plan. He's going to take some of them and storm the front of the city. And as they see them coming and they start running towards them, he's going to flee, just like how the first one happened. And they're going to think, hey, we've done this again. We're going to beat them again. And while they were fleeing, running after Joshua and his men, there was a whole other group that had went around to the back of the city and was coming in from the backside and started setting the whole city on fire. So by the time they got done, not only were they setting the city on fire and the king Aiah and his people were there, but now they've got them surrounded where you've got Joshua's men on one side and you've got Aiah on fire on the backside along with Joshua's troops coming and they all meet in the middle and they wipe them out. And in chapter 8 it tells us that it was roughly around 12,000 people. But they wiped everybody out and then they took the king, the king of Aiah, and they hung him on a tree. And at the end of that, then they put his dead body at the gate of that city and they poured stones over the top of them and made a grave. And it was the concept of reminding them that, you know what, what's once defeated them is now defeated. What's once defeated them is now defeated. And because of that story, I wrote down four simple things that I think we need to know when it comes to rematches. Four things that I want to encourage you with. The first thing that I wrote down, number one, some things must be conquered or beat. You don't have to battle everything. But for some of you, and you know what I'm talking about, some things have to be battled, conquered, and defeated. It's not an option. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and get up, get ready, and let's go. The second thing that we realize from this Winning requires obedience. You know, the, the only thing that changed in these stories between the first battle and the second was the obedience of God's people. Again, I am not talking about a legalistic, do what I say mentality to a relationship with God. What I'm talking about is that God is the Lord of your life and we are obedient to what he's calling us to do. If he is the author and perfecter of our faith, then why in the world would we ever try to take the pen out of his hand? We allow him to write the story. The third thing that I wrote down, and I want to read this to make sure I don't butcher it. You cannot approach your comeback with the same strategy you used that created your setback. From this story, you know what we realize? The rematch, you would be a fool. To use the same thing that got you beat the first time, the second time in the rematch. There has to be a different strategy. And then lastly, the thing that I wrote down, when it comes to rematches, when it comes to the rematches in your life, when it comes to dealing with the setbacks, when it comes to dealing with the defeats of your past, listen to me very carefully. Leave no doubt 
leave no doubt. Wipe it all off. Don't just win. Destroy it. See, that's what the rematch is about. You know, we're sitting here on Palm Sunday. And when you think about those attributes, when you think about the aspect that some things are worth battling, some things have to be defeated, some things have to be conquered. When you think about that, when you think about obedience is the key to winning, when you think about that there has to be a different approach for the, for the conquering than there was for the setback, and you think about the aspect of leaving no doubt, you want me to give you a better example than Joshua? Jesus' triumphant entry. It's what we celebrate today as Palm Sunday. You know, when he entered and they were laying all that stuff, he entered, they call it the triumphant entry. Why? Because everybody knows that he was showing up to win and finish once and for all what needed to be settled. His rematch this time was not going to end any way close to where the garden was. He was going to take what he had set up as a Old Testament priestly Levitical system and he was going to become our high priest and he was going to give us the ability to now have a new strategy to conquer things. And you know what the first thing that he did? He entered and he went to the temple. You can read it in Mark chapter 11. Then he kind of observes and it was late in the day it says. And so he retreats back to Bethany, wakes up the next morning, Curses a fig tree because it looked like it should have fruit, but it didn't. And goes straight back to the temple. And you know what he does? He leaves no doubt. He starts flipping tables, running people out of there, running out the money collectors. And he makes this statement. My father's house was meant to be a house of prayer. And you have made it into a den of robbers. He put a stake in the ground and said, rematch i call a rematch we're going to talk more about that next week but i want to give you a challenge i know that again you're not right here man i wish i could see your faces i wish you could even see me a little bit more this has been an emotional message for me because i know that a lot of times when we think about a rematch, man, we think about butterflies and, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. And I just, you know, last time it didn't turn out so well. Remember God's promises and call out your rematch. He has made you to be more than a conqueror through him. Be obedient to your Lord and watch how everything changes. Strategy, yeah, it's probably going to be different. You'd be a fool to approach the same situation the same way that caused your setback. But with God leading you, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. See, the rematch is more than just picking a fight. See, a lot of people think about a rematch as like you're kind of, you're, you're re-picking a fight with somebody. It's not what rematches are for. You know what rematches are for? To settle the fight. To end it. For once and all, it's done. So I don't know where you sit today. You don't know where I sit today. But I know that on, online today and 
and across our country and across our state and even in our own city. There's a lot of people that, that keep entering a ring, a lot like what's behind me, but in a figurative aspect of their life. And they keep fighting. And they'll start to get ahead, and then they'll kind of let it off the hook. Or the first time something goes bad, they quit and they jump out of the ring because they're worried to death of what the outcome's going to be. Listen to me. Today is a day of freedom and celebration, that through Christ, a part of your comeback is more, like we said last week, it's more than just getting you back to where you were. God wants more and better for you. And a part of that better is to conquer the things through him that once held you back. For some of you, it may be anger. For some of you, it may be lust. For some of you, it may be an addiction. For some of you, it may be poor relationships that you need to mend. For some of you, it, I don't know what it is. I, we could sit here and list, just like I listed all those promises in God's word and the things that he has put over the top of you in his word that he has promised, we could list just as many of ways that people fall and they struggle. But today, will you join with me on Palm Sunday, just like Jesus entered into Jerusalem to retake this world, will you allow God to be a part of your life so that you can retake your world? It's going to take you re-entering the rematch. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.